At the beginning of the year, we uh, started off with a series that we called Dream Church. And we talked about how in the last hundred years, the church as a whole has been pretty content to expect the people that needed us the most to come to us and to just show up on Sunday morning during our event. And, and we've been tempted to say if they need something, if the community needs something, they will come to us. But that has gradually stopped working as the church ceases to be relevant in the culture's eyes. They don't think about the church like they used to. But see, that's okay because that's not how this whole thing got started. In the book of Acts, we see that the early church understood the message and they knew that it was their responsibility to go and make relationships with people and then leverage those relationships for the gospel. This is our co-mission. This is what we are called to do together with Christ and with each other. Back in January, we showed a few video examples of people in our state that were doing this. It was a nurse that was starting a Bible study with the women in her hospital. There was a pastor that was able to launch a church out of his relationship with the sports community in the schools. There was a fireman that used his station house as a mission field to show the firemen in his community that he cared and Jesus loved them. They used their sphere of influence and leveraged it for the gospel. And hopefully you've been thinking about uh, ways that you can try and do that in your life. And it's going to look different for each and every one of us. It might be a neighbor. It might be someone at our job. And it might not start with us blurting out the gospel, but rather just asking someone a question that's not so shallow. Like, hey, I noticed that you look a little bit down today. Is there anything I can pray with you about? And caring about people. I know a few people in our church that have seen good results with this. There's a man uh, that has used his gym as a gospel outpost, starting relationships, caring for people, asking deeper questions, and pointing to Jesus. I know another that have uh, adopted their neighborhood as their mission field, starting relationships, caring about people, pointing to Jesus. Culturally, we as Christians have become like the society that is very shallow, very surface, and scared to get uncomfortable with going deeper in our relationships. So what are our excuses for not taking up the great commandment and the great commission of loving God and loving people and going? Sometimes we like to say that we're too busy, but you're around people all the time. We might say we're too scared. Well, that really is a lack of faith, right? Because if this thing works, it's not because of you or your bravery, but because God used you to do something with an impact. Every member is a missionary, and you live and work and play on your mission field. So find it and focus. The early church understood this. They know that if they didn't do the mission, the mission wouldn't get done. And they went to synagogues and city streets and they got uncomfortable. They went to different towns and they met people and talked about Jesus. So we left off with Paul as he returned to Jerusalem on his, after his third missionary journey. He'd been all over the known world. And today we're going to cover six chapters of the Bible. So 
please go and read chapters 22 through 28 for yourselves because we will not have time to dive deep into every bend in this journey. But Paul knew that this trip back to Jerusalem was dangerous. But he wanted to stop there before he went on to Rome. In this portion of Paul's life, he never knows what's going to happen around the next bend. He knows that he has, uh, through talking about Christ so much, he has caused problems and he's been beaten and he's been hurt and he's been persecuted. And he doesn't know what the next thing is going to happen. He doesn't know if he's going to live through the next week, through the next month. So he goes back to Jerusalem to strengthen the church there. And he knew going to Jerusalem and then going on to Rome that he might be beaten and arrested and maybe even killed. But Paul believed that suffering for Christ was an honor. And Paul believed that suffering for Christ was a picture of suffering of the suffering of Christ. And that it would point back to who Jesus was. Now, Paul wasn't just a jerk and then blamed uh, you know, the backlash for being a jerk on persecution, right? Like many of the people that complain about persecution today. No, he simply pointed to Christ in the face of resistance. So when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, he went to the brother of Jesus, James, who was a leader in this church. And the church in Jerusalem and the Jewish Christians were still struggling with this idea that the Gentiles were grafted into God's people. And Paul reminded them and encouraged them not to let these differences in ethnicity be a barrier to church unity. Because that's the beautiful thing. When different people put aside their differences because they love Jesus and they have Jesus in common. And we put others before ourselves. Well, while in the temple, the unbelieving Jews that had rejected Jesus surrounded Paul. And they falsely accused Paul of being against the Jews and against the law and against the temple. And they accused him of bringing Greeks into the temple, which he didn't do. Really, they were just looking for reasons to attack Paul. Acts 21 verse 30 says, Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together, and they seized Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune, this is the Roman official, the tribune of the cohort, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. You couldn't say that Paul wasn't making an impact, right? For good or bad, he made a difference. The whole city is topsy-turvy and upside down. And the Roman officials heard of what was going on and they brought soldiers and stopped the Jews from beating and trying to kill Paul. Come on, sing it. <laughs> I need uh, some backup music. That was great. Those online can't hear that and they're like, what is he doing? That was weird. <laughs> But the Roman officials were confused about what started this fight. But they couldn't gather any facts from such an emotional crowd. So they take Paul to the barracks, and they think they recognize him as an Egyptian revolutionary. But Paul says, no, that's not me. That's not why I'm here. That's not my purpose. I'm a Jewish Roman citizen. And then he asks to please be able to address these people that were trying to attack him. Think about that. These people were just beating Paul, but he wanted to give them the gospel. 
And I'm sure he remembered how he was once in the crowd as Deacon Stephen was being stoned to death for his sermon in the temple. Paul cared about this mob of people because he used to be in that mob of people. And Paul says to this Jewish crowd, he says, I have the credentials. I know the law inside and out. I was a member of the Sanhedrin. I was trained by the much respected Rabbi Gamaliel. And just like you're persecuting me, I was also passionate about imprisoning and killing followers of the way. But Paul says, God stopped me in my tracks and God pursued me. He knocked me off my donkey. And on a day that I was traveling the road to Damascus to capture followers of Jesus, instead I had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus himself. One or two years after the ascension. Paul changed forever that day. And Paul gave his life to that same Jesus that he tried to snuff out. And Paul wanted to see the same people who were just beating him become followers of Jesus as well because he remembered how much he's changed since he was in that crowd. Well, the crowd listened for a while, all the way up until Paul told them that God sent him to tell the Gentiles that they uh, that God wanted them to be a part of his family as well. And things turned sour quickly. Hate is strong, even in the face of truth. Verse 22 says, up to this word, they listened to him. But then they raised their voices and said, away with such fellow from the earth, for he should not be able to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and they flung dust into the air. The only thing that saved Paul and his life right here is, was his Roman citizenship. Because the Romans protected him and they, uh, they took him to face the religious leaders instead of this crowd and this mob. They did this on the next day to hear what they had accused him of. Well, this meeting with the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't go much better. It turned violent as well, and the Roman guards had to pull him out. And that night, God spoke to Paul that it was time to leave Jerusalem and to preach in Rome. But then 40 Jewish men had a plot to not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. You think people are against you, which is probably mostly in your mind. This here was guys that said, I'm not eating anything and I'm not drinking anything until I kill Paul. But in order to protect Paul, the Roman officials sent Paul to Caesarea with an army of 470 men. They sent him to the Roman governor, Felix, so that he could investigate why this Paul had caused such an uproar and what his purpose was. The high priest and the others in the Sanhedrin came and accused Paul and they lied about him. But Governor Felix saw right through it. Paul wasn't a terrorist. Paul wasn't a revolutionary. He just believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And Governor Felix didn't believe that that was against the law. Felix had heard of these followers of Jesus known as the way, and he knew that they weren't violent. But Paul was making his job a little bit harder, and he was still causing problems. So he put Paul in prison for two years. But honestly, this probably protected Paul. And that, after that 
Felix's time as the governor came to an end, and Festus, that's a name right there, right? Festus became the governor. And the Jews came again and tried to make their case against Paul. This is two years later. These people knew how to hold a grudge. They actually still wanted to try and kill Paul. But Governor Festus also saw that the real dispute uh, was that Paul believed in Jesus and that Jesus rose from the dead. So instead, he sent Paul up the chain to King Agrippa. Classic government, right? A lot of meetings, a lot of red tape, and a lot of sending them to somebody else. So Paul stands before King Agrippa. Obviously, governor and king are important titles, but the title Caesar was reserved for the supreme emperor. You might look at this part of the story in Acts, and at first he's starting churches here, starting churches there. People are becoming to Christ, and, and people are being healed. And you might look at this portion of Paul's life and think that it's a waste. Paul would spend years of his life in prison. But without this hard time in Paul's life, he may not, we may not have today significant pieces of Scripture. In prison, Paul wrote to the churches that he helped start. He wrote to encourage them and to instruct them. And those letters, inspired by God, make up a good chunk of the New Testament. The letters to the Ephesians and to the Philippians and the Colossians and to Philemon, they give us so much hope, even while Paul is in a prison cell. This time in Paul's life, he also got the opportunity to uh, give his testimony, to witness to Governor Felix and Festus and now King Agrippa and their, and their courts and to give them the gospel. Well, next they send Paul up the chain of command again. And they finally put Paul on a ship to send him to stand before Caesar, Nero. And on the way to Nero, Paul gets shipwrecked and almost dies, but he keeps preaching the gospel. Paul had faith that he would be okay because God told him that he was going to go stand before Caesar. Paul then was bitten by a poisonous snake. But he was miraculously okay. He keeps preaching Jesus. I don't know about you, but at this point, snakes is where I get off, definitely. If I hadn't already quit by now, this would have been when. But this journey to Rome took months, and it was hard. And, but during this time, he made friends with the guards and the centurions. So when he arrived in Rome, they let him kind of be on a, a house arrest. So what did Paul do? He kept preaching Christ, crucified and risen again. Paul basically started a little house church while he was on house arrest. He kept preaching. Acts chapter 28, verse 27. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging. These are the people that are coming to listen to him preach in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Paul remained there for two years, waiting and preaching and ministering to people. He didn't waste this time when it was hard. Verse 30 says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. We don't actually get a record of what happened when Paul stands before Caesar. 
We do know that in Philippians, Paul wrote that many people in Caesar's house became followers of Jesus. Now, whether that's Caesar's family or his servants or his guards, we don't know. But the gospel was pushing in throughout Rome. Now, Paul would have interacted and met Nero when Nero was still relatively sane. But things turned brutal after a few years. PBS and Encyclopedia Britannica say this about Nero. Nero, Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, ruled the Roman Empire from 54 A.D. to 68 A.D. And most historians agree that he was brutal and irresponsible and an opulent ruler who was famous for persecuting Christians. He was known to force Christians into gladiator matches where they would be eaten by lions. And he often lit up his garden parties with the burning carcasses of Christian human torches. Perhaps one of the greatest mysteries surrounding Nero was the burning of Rome. On July 19th, 64 AD, a fire began in that city that spread for six days, and then it reignited and burned for three days more. History has blamed Nero for the disaster, implying that he started the fire so that he could bypass the Senate and rebuild Rome to his liking. But this has never been proven. But regardless of whether or not Nero was involved in burning the city, he took advantage of this disaster to do two things. To build his own luxurious new architecture and also to put the blame on Christians so that he could continue to persecute them. Some scholars believe that Paul was set free for a short while after his trial with Caesar and that he went as far as Spain and maybe even Britain. But this isn't mentioned in the Bible. Paul's death isn't mentioned in the Bible either. But I guess you can't write any more letters when you are dead. But tradition tells us that he did end up dying from the persecution of Christians under Nero. Paul tells us how he felt about his life near the end of one of his last letters in 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul says this, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Think about that. As Paul went through all these hardships, he didn't retire. He didn't put up his Bible and say, I'm done. I'll let somebody else do it. He, no, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. And Paul was at peace with the direction that his life took after his choice to become a follower of Jesus. And it wasn't easy, but it was worth it. Tony Evans says this. He says, when you live under the umbrella of God's kingdom agenda, the Holy Spirit is free to take you on your own life's journey. And sometimes it will be frustrating and sometimes it will prove frightening, but God always fulfills his purpose for you. This is the unified story of Luke and Acts, Jesus and the early church written to Theophilus to show us history, but also to invite us in to continue the story in the book of Acts. Jesus walked and Paul followed Jesus and God provided for him. And Paul was faithful through many dangers and toils and snares. And because of the faithfulness of the apostles in the book of Acts, and because of the Holy Spirit's moving, 
those diverse faith communities that were planted all over the known world, led us to right here and right now. And the church 50 years from now depends on your willingness to be faithful and to listen to the Holy Spirit and to help create and be a part of a diverse faith community that multiplies and doesn't think so much about ourselves, but thinks about the souls that are around us, the people that live an eternal life somewhere. See, the numbers of genuine Christians are going in the wrong direction because the church got comfortable. And we thought someone else would do the job for us. And we thought that we could pay the church staff and outsource our gospel witness to the community, to somebody else. While we lived a comfortable, quiet, unchallenged life, it's not working. But the good news is this, what originally got us here, what started this is still what works today. A church that goes, a follower of Jesus that is intentional about meeting new people and getting out of their bubble and having more friends than are, than are just Christian friends. And talking about Jesus and inviting them in and doing the hard work of community, pushing past all the excuses, thinking outside of ourselves. That's the follower of Jesus that will pass this thing along to our kids and to our grandkids. This story goes on today. You are sent. Every member is a missionary. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. In 2022, on this day, in this moment, here in the seat or online, you are called to take the message of Jesus and act it out in the streets of Harrison County. In your workplace, in your house, in your friend group. This is the great commandment and the great commission. To love God, love people, and go. To take the message and to act it out. With every head's bowed and eyes closed. As the band comes, play softly. Where is your mission field? Who are you called to? You might say, Pastor Phil, I don't have a doctrine in theology. I don't have all the answers to everything. That's awesome. That's great. They didn't have that back in the book of Acts either. What you do have is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have an encounter with Jesus in your life at some point. And you have hope past this life, and past yourself. And that's the message that's going to make the difference. The greatest defense for the gospel is a changed life. Someone that's different. Someone that's not the exact same as everybody else. Someone that looks like Jesus, that cares about people, 
gives people second chances, thinks the best of people, has hope that God can change them. That's a message that we don't hear in society. You have a calling on your life and you have a purpose to bring glory to God. And to introduce people to this God so that they might worship him because he deserves it. And it's what they were made to do. Our goal when we come into this room is not to come and listen, but it's hopefully that the Holy Spirit would change us and that we would be different than we were when we walked in. If you haven't added to your faith over the last six months, what's going on? If God hasn't changed your heart in some way, We are called to think outside of ourselves. And there are people at our job, in our neighborhood, at the golf course, at the gym, at the library, at the grocery store, at the post office, that could use someone like you to take a little bit of extra time and to go a little bit deeper, not to be rude and not to, to be weird, Maybe it's just asking them if you could pray with them about something. Maybe it's just asking them how their day was and listening for a minute. Maybe that's how it starts. But to be intentional to engage our community for Jesus Christ. Not for our own glory, not to fill up a sanctuary, but to bring the hope of Jesus to the world. As we continue to allow that to sit on our hearts and whatever God talked to us about this morning, I want to talk to someone in the room maybe today that doesn't know for sure that they are a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've come to church Maybe you even would say that you believe in God. Those things are awesome. That's great. But each person that's ever existed has had a problem, and it started all the way back at the beginning. That problem's called sin. See, God gave us a free will. He allowed us to choose our way or His way. And over and over again throughout history, we have chosen our way. And because of this, pain and death and sin and disease has flooded this world. And that's a result of sin. And we tried to find ways to get to God. We tried to find ways to fill that God-shaped hole in our heart. But none of it works and none of it lasts. God pursued us. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, third part of the Trinity, one of the parts, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years ago, God 
himself walked this earth. His name was Jesus, and he lived a perfect and a holy life for 32 years. And then he laid his life down on the cross. An innocent person died for all of us guilty people. Jesus paid the price of your sin. See, the Bible says the wages of our sin is death, and that's more than a physical death. It's death in a place called hell because God cannot fellowship and be around sin. But he made a way through Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus in my place. Romans 10, 13 says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not about baptism or church membership. Those things are good. It's not about church attendance or giving records or how many old ladies you walk across the street. It's all about what Jesus did on the cross. You can put your faith and trust in what he did today, once and for all. You could call out to him. The words aren't magic words. It's about a decision in your heart to take your faith and place it not on your good works, but on Jesus Christ. You could call out to him today with something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I've chosen my way over your way. God, please forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning from all my good works. And I put my faith in what you did on the cross. God, forgive me. Save me. Once again, the words aren't important. You can say whatever you want as long as you realize you're a sinner and you know the penalty of your sin is separation from God and that Jesus made a way for you to get to God and put your faith on Him. If that's you today, I challenge you to write that on your connection card. I chose Jesus. Put that in the black box before you leave and say, I put my faith in Jesus. That's the most amazing thing you could ever do. I'd love to be able to talk through what's next with you. Maybe that's not you and you've already accepted Christ as your Savior. Put all your faith in Him. Maybe you made some other type of decision today. Decide to talk to your neighbor. Decide to be more vocal. Decide to meet new friends and put yourself in new situations so that you might be around people that need the hope of the gospel. Write that down. It's not for pass around the church or anything. It's for the pastors to be able to look over and pray with you about. Maybe you have some other prayer request or some other hurt in your life. Write that down and put it in that, that box. Here, Jesus, we love you. I thank you so much for saving someone like me. God, I pray that you help this church to get so passionate about showing the love of Christ to our community that we make the time and we're intentional and we put it on our schedule to meet new people and to talk about Jesus. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.